you can be your own bank, right? That's a, fa a famous phrase of Bitcoin. And that, that means basically you can store billions, trillions of dollars of Bitcoin in a little USB stick and hide it somewhere, whatever, and like no one can get that. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. Really excited about my guest, uh, probably for selfish reasons because I've been following her for a really long time. I'm super interested in everything she, she does and what she shares. And I actually just really wanted to pick her brain about a subject that I get asked often about and something that I'm interested in but know absolutely nothing about, and that is cryptocurrency. And so today I have with me Heidi, and she's from Crypto Tips. She has a YouTube channel, super informative. And yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. So thank you for joining me, Heidi. Yeah, thanks, Evelyn. Uh, excited to be here. Let's let's uh, learn something. <laughs> yes, I honestly, I'm not sure if um, you have these books in America, but in Australia, it's like scuba diving for dummies and oh, yeah, reading definitely. for dummies. Okay, <laughs> so this is going to be cryptocurrency for dummies, aka for me, because I'm sort of in that space online with like the political commentary about big government, big corp, the bureaucrats, all these things, and every single time I speak about government overreach or tyranny or the globalist agenda, one of the first things people mention to me is Bitcoin or cryptocurrency yeah. and that being a solution. Um, but for me, I'm pretty simple. I'm an Aussie chick. Uh, like, you know, we're, we're pretty simple folk down under. And so it's a little bit over my head. So I guess I want to start off with the basic question of what is cryptocurrency? So you have, uh, okay. I am so into like the history of how this was created. Um, but first at a very basic level, what is a cryptocurrency? Basically it's a way to transfer value without a centralized third party that controls the, uh, creation of it or like the emission of it, um, approving, uh, who and what can can send money where and when. Um, it's currency that isn't uh, created by any government. It's a sovereign mm -hmm. currency. Um, and basically it's run by a decentralized network of computers that are basically checking. Uh, it's a public ledger. So it's a public history of these transactions. And uh, it's run, again, by a decentralized network. And it was first created by a person whose pseudonym is Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009. And that's like the first successful implementation of cryptocurrencies. People have been mm -hmm. trying to create cryptocurrencies since the 80s, like the early 80s. Um, wow. And even before that, there's the cypherpunk movement and encryption and really a lot of volunteer renegades who were able to understand the importance of the internet and more importantly, how to protect your privacy on the internet and through encryption. And so with that naturally came, okay, how can we also add monetary value to that? How can we add a transactional layer to that? So People have been trying a lot for, for cryptocurrencies, and finally in 2009, they figured it out. And the issue that they finally, that Satoshi had figured out is, it's like basically, how can you trust uh, that the information will stay honest as it's uh, moving along the system? Anyway, um, so yeah, it's, and also Bitcoin was released open source. So that means every, all of the code that makes up the Bitcoin network, the software that it runs is open source, totally public. You and I can go on and see it. And because it was released to be open source, there's now like several thousand different cryptocurrencies um, that have taken that idea and have built on it, have tweaked it, have, um, you know, there's always trade-offs, right? For if you want something to be one way, you might have to sacrifice something else. So there's a, a huge difference in these different cryptocurrencies. And uh, as you advance in your, you know, journey in crypto, you'll start to learn those. But yeah, basically it's a way to transact value without having to deal with governments that are printing your currency, uh, you know, central banks that are not voted in, uh, central bankers that are controlling the monetary policy. Um, and, you know, furthermore, just 
censorship and like what we were saying with Russia and sanctions, what we're seeing with Canada. Um, these are all use cases for Bitcoin that have always existed, but people are just now really realizing the importance of how free uh, freeing um, this kind of disruptive technology can be. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> so back in 2000, yeah, that is a lot actually. Like I'm going to be honest, I, I took little bits, Heidi, but there are still okay. some bits I might need clarification as yeah, we go. Yeah, sure, but- please. Back to 2009, you said like, you know, they've been trying to do crypto since the 80s, um, but 2009 is kind of when it became a tangible, actual sort of thing. Was that Bitcoin itself or was that a different type of cryptocurrency to Bitcoin? No, it was Bitcoin. Um, The Bitcoin white paper, yeah, was in 2008. And then I believe the first transaction happened on January, in January, 2009. So okay. basically Satoshi, what he did, he had his, he, the white paper is basically like a general overview of, of how the network can work. And he released that into this chat group and people were tearing it apart, tearing it apart, but he, he really believed in what he was doing. Mm. And then he, he launched the network and uh, it was successful and it's just been growing ever since. So what made it unsuccessful prior to that like like as in you said it's been going on since the 80s what was that pivotal moment in 2009 that made it happen yeah so david chom and his digicash and nick zabo and his e-gold um <clears throat> or bitgold i'm sorry there's like these they had this idea but they always required a centralized entity to uh, control everything. And that essentially they weren't building anything really new other than, uh, you know, like more of the same, right. Of, Mm -hmm. of a central bank type situation. So what Satoshi created was the blockchain and the decentralized network and how those computers work together and how it's really interesting. He used like a Mm -hmm. game theory to incentivize honest behavior. So basically Mm -hmm he found a way to incentivize people to behave honestly on the blockchain rather than if they wanted to game the system and like cheat or whatever, you'd actually, it would be very short-lived and you would be much more successful if you played by the rules. Um, Yeah. So basically how blockchain works is again, it's a public ledger of transactions that are being uh, locked into this public ledger. And, um, if, if someone were to somehow obtain 51% control over that blockchain, um, they could double spend coins, they could print a bunch of Bitcoin um, and do crazy things. But now, like maybe in 2009, 2010, that was possible. But today, mm-hmm. that costs like hundreds of billions of dollars for like for to do that for like maybe 10 minutes. Um, so it's, it's just not feasible even for a huge government because once they ran out of money, basically to do that attack, uh, the rest of the nodes on the network can undo those transactions. They can, they can come together, make a consensus that that was nefarious and Mm. everything that they did would be reversed. So they wouldn't actually come away with anything. Um, Mm. so yeah, it's really interesting how, uh, using game theory again to incentivize honest behavior, I think is really good rather than relying on centralized control to, you know, Mm. (laughs) dictate how things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And um, something I sort of wanted to ask you about is the value of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency Mm. and how that works. Because there's a a really interesting, um, not rumor, I think it's probably a known thing, but um, of Alex Jones was given a USB with some form of cryptocurrency like way back, like probably Mm. towards like 2009, 10, like that sort of era. Um, and I'm not sure at that particular moment in time it was as valuable as it is today. And I think he's misplaced sure. it. And I think they gave an estimate that it's probably worth millions of dollars now on this missing USB. And what is even more interesting, I found out through looking into that um, sort of theory, rumor, whatever it is, is that, you know, Bitcoin has a limit uh, and there's, I guess there's like a cap off. So if you lose that money, it's like, it's lost. You can't then replace it. Like, like our 
big federal banks do as per governments and things, you know, they can just print more money. They can just, you know, do that. You can't do that with sort of Bitcoin. So my first question is, I'm sorry, I went all over the place there, but my first question to you would be, um, how do you determine the value of Bitcoin? And, um, and, and then after that, I might get you to sort of explain how there's a cap off on how much money can be, I guess, distributed. Yeah. So, um, there's like, in, there's, uh, it's debatable if there's intrinsic value to anything other than food, right? Cause you need that seriously to survive mm. food and shelter. Um, but for Bitcoin, it has certain capabilities that make it very valuable for people. The fact that it's borderless, um, you can transact in it regardless, again, whatever country you're in, whatever time of day it is, uh, wherever you're located, whatever reason you're sending it, no one cares. No one's asking you your reasons for sending Bitcoin um, mm. if you're doing it in a peer-to-peer fashion. Also, Bitcoin is immutable. Like I said, uh, with uh, the blockchain, the transactions are locked in. Once you have a certain amount of, of basically blocks locked in um, after your transaction, it is locked forever. You can't, it can't be undone. Um, no one can take your money back. It is yours permanently. Um, it is peer to peer. Again, anyone, anywhere can create a Bitcoin wallet. And if you have a Bitcoin wallet, you can receive Bitcoin. If you know someone else who has a Bitcoin wallet, you can send it to their address. Uh, no permission needed, no KYC needed. Mm. Um, it is uh, decentralized. Like I said, the network that functions is decentralized. All of this government talk of regulating or trying to ban Bitcoin, they cannot. I don't care who you are, what government you are, who, however much money you think you have, you cannot shut down the network of Bitcoin because nothing is stopping anyone from running a node from basically, again, I said it's open source software. Everyone can start running that software on a computer. Um, to help maintain the network. And so what they what they are regulating are these centralized exchanges, these kind of bottlenecks of how people are entering and exiting the network. Um, mm. That's a whole other story, but uh, the mm. value of Bitcoin also, you know, like you said, with the supply, uh, a hedge against inflation, um, it is hard coded how much Bitcoin will ever be created. Um, it is a known emission rate of Bitcoin. We will know exactly when and how much Bitcoin will exist at any point of time mm. that have ever been created. Um, there's a, a limit of 21 million that will ever be created. But like Alex and like many other people, especially if you're new to cryptocurrencies, most people make mistakes. They, they lose their seed phrase. They lose their USB code uh, card. And so that's kind of contributing also to the scarcity of Bitcoin too. Like yeah. in all reality, the mm. amount of Bitcoin that probably could ever be accessed is more in like the $16 million range because wow. so many people mined it. They mined, you know, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin and then they threw away their computer or they didn't value mm. it or whatever, and they just forgot about it and then it's gone. And, and because Bitcoin is immutable, once those coins are gone, if you don't have access to your seed phrase, you, no one can ever break it unless they can break the encryption of Bitcoin and then it's all over, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. Yeah. Anytime. So we hope not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so <laughs> What determines the value of Bitcoin? Because I'm not sure if you know off the top of your head, but like what, what would one Bitcoin be worth in, in like dollar sort of uh, categories? Uh, let me check right so I can give you an accurate number what the mm. price of Bitcoin is. It's been kind of stagnant actually for the past uh, couple of weeks. But mm. right now, one Bitcoin is trading for 38600 and sorry, just changed, 38589 for one Bitcoin. You don't yeah. have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can buy 0. 0.00001 Bitcoin if you wanted. Um, it's mm. divisible up to eight decimals. So, okay. And that way it's also, uh, yeah, feasible for small transactions as well. For peasants like myself who do not have a $38,000 laying around yeah. for, for one Bitcoin. <laughs> so that I, I like that you could get little portions of it. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah. So does it fluctuate often in terms of like just then you sort of looked in, it was 37 and then it went up to 38. You said it's changed. Does it change often like the value of it? Oh, definitely. I, you know, Bitcoin's known for being volatile. That's due to it. Number one, being a really new market, a really brand new asset class compared to, you know, property or the stock mm. market, you know, uh, it's, it's very new and small. And so what that means is if someone comes around a big chunk of money and they buy Bitcoin, it's going to make it skyrocket because mm. you can think of it as like right now, it's like a, a smaller boat. Um, as that market grows, that boat gets bigger. It, it takes bigger waves for it to really, uh, change the, or to affect the price pretty significantly. So mm. yeah, it's a growing market. And so as that comes with volatility, some people take advantage of that volatility, they swing trade, they, they buy low, they, they sell high, and then they, they buy back again when it dips and they can start accumulating that way. Um, you know, but it's, it's definitely volatile. And that's something that I'm always saying is, uh, put a little bit of money in if you're interested. Um, because if you, especially if you're new to crypto, you don't really know the core, the core intrinsic value mm. of what this technology represents. Um, I, it, for me, it's easy. I am like, I am pretty much all in crypto, um, yeah. because I am so have so much faith in where this technology is going and it's not going anywhere. Um, but if you, if you're not, you know, if you don't have that kind of steadfast belief in this, then yeah, you're going to get scared with the volatility. You might, you see it crash and then you sell it at a loss. And then you have a bad experience. A lot of people that happened in 2017, when Bitcoin basically went from like, what was it? A thousand dollars to $20,000. Um, mm. that bull market was definitely fueled by what we call retail investors, some people call it dumb money as well. Basically, mm. it's people who are getting their investment advice from their mainstream media news. Uh, all of a sudden, they're talking about Bitcoin. Oh, it's going crazy. They don't know anything about it, but these people hear it on the news. They buy it. They're buying at the top, <clears throat> and then it crashes because they run out of new people to purchase. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Where the people who bought lower see that price going up. And then they start selling it because they're taking a profit. Like who would want, who wouldn't want to take a profit. Mm. And so when that kind of uh, equilibrium shifts and there's more people who want to sell than buy, then the market starts correcting. So again, mm. because it was in 2017, Bitcoin was a baby. That was like the first time people, the general public were really being introduced to it. And now this time around in the past, again, two years, the narrative for Bitcoin being a hedge against inflation, mm. of being an immutable way to store and secure your your wealth, um, and to transact in it, <clears throat> that's that's bringing in a new type of investor. All of a sudden, also there's more regulations coming in here, so it's opening the door for more institutional investors to get exposure to Bitcoin. So it's kind of I think it's it's less volatile now than it than it has been in the past. I think it's going to mm. continue to be less volatile. But yeah. still, if you're <clears throat> comparing it to something like the stock market or property prices, you know, uh it's it's definitely yeah, more volatile. And I mean, you know, like properties, they have usually like a 15-year cycle. Uh Bitcoin is said to have uh, what was it? A, a five-year cycle. So, or three, uh, yeah, a shorter, much shorter time mm -hmm. span from again, the lows to the highs of the, of the market from a bear yeah. market to a bull market. So I actually remember, um, maybe it was last year sometime. I think it was Elon Musk, uh, commented something about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and that like did something to the market. Am I, I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly. That's but, definitely right. He does it. All. He actually yeah. just did that the other day as well. <laughs> did he? Yeah. Is, like, does he act, I'm not sure if you know, but does he actually invest in that or is he just kind of? Yeah, no, he, okay. his, uh, his company is, uh, was it SpaceX or, or Tesla is invested in Bitcoin. Um, right. so he has Bitcoin on his books for his company. And I think he's also personally invested in it. 
He's also always talking about another cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, uh, which actually, funnily enough, that one was created as like a meme coin, like kind of just as a joke. And now it's funny. <laughs> people are like really taking it seriously. But oh, it's, wow. it's also, it's like a symptom of what this whole space is, is incredibly talented, creative people who are testing how money can work in different ways. And that yeah. for me is like really cool to learn about and, and see how you can, you know, change people's lives and have so many different forms of income. Now, passive income that was not usually, mm -hmm. you know, attainable by most people, unless you already had significant capital at your hands, you know? So mm, that's true. Um, I think, I think crypto definitely has the ability to, to shift how people work nine to five jobs. Like for example, mm -hmm. I don't, <laughs> I run a yeah. YouTube channel. I have a paid membership group, but, uh, yeah, I definitely, because of, of my investments in crypto and my activity here, I've been able to travel the world and work online and mm -hmm. have passive income coming in that, that makes me feel very comfortable. So mm. yeah. Yeah. I'm sold. Where do I start? <laughs> um, I was going to ask you actually about, um, I guess, income and things, because there's actually somebody that I know here in Australia who has pretty much not had to work since they have invested in, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as well. I guess it's sort of an income. What I'm confused about, and I guess what probably other people who are in the same position as me who know nothing about cryptocurrency are probably thinking is, how do you make an income? So if you're, yeah. if you're investing money into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, are you, is it similar to the stock market where you've got to buy and sell and trade and do all that to make money or does it, does it grow on trees in the backyard? Like how, how does it sort of work? Yeah. So now, um, okay. So yeah, of course you can, you can day trade Bitcoin. You can swing trade cryptocurrencies. Day trading is basically you're making multiple trades a day tiny little trades that accumulate over time. Um, or you can, you can again, buy low when the market is generally lower and then sell when you see that it's swinging towards the top. Um, that's mm -hmm. like swing trading. Maybe you might do trades like every couple of weeks or every month or so, depending on your time frames. But that's, that's like, probably how, if your friend started many years ago, that's probably what he was doing because there mm -hmm. wasn't much option other than you know, having to sell your Bitcoin to take profit into, into fiat. Um, but now there's the uh, Ethereum was launched in, what was it, 2014? And I think it was 2014, 2015, Ethereum launched. And what they did was uh, brought to us the, uh, you know, smart contracts. And what that is basically, it allows you to put money kind of in an escrow account and you, you can determine, okay, if, if, uh, I'm sorry, if this is getting a little technical, but it's basically, no, good. If, if you can, you can determine if this condition is met, then my money will do this or we'll go here or right. this much money will go to you. So it, it brings, um, much more utility to money, um, rather than just holding it or being able to transact with it. You mm. can make it do a lot of it. What do they call it is, um, programmable money. Um, okay. so that's what smart contracts do. And what that has led to is DeFi, um, in 2019, 2020, that really got a lot of more attention. Um, and so what you can do DeFi is decentralized finance. Basically you're lending your crypto and you can get paid an in interest. And, uh, similarly you can borrow, crypto. And if let's say you wanted to make a bigger trade, you can uh, borrow crypto, make that trade, make more profit, higher, yeah, more profit than you would have mm. before. I paid back your trade. And then that way you've also earned profit. Um, there's also like, it's really exploded, especially over the past mm. year um, with decentralized exchanges. You can basically um, contribute your, your coins to be traded against, and you're rewarded by being a liquidity provider. Um, basically there's so many ways to earn passive income with mm. cryptocurrencies. Another good one, a much, uh, in my opinion, if you're like interested in making this, uh, ecosystem more robust, and you actually want to contribute to the security of the coin 
that you are such a fan of, and it's a proof of stake coin. Like for example, mm-hmm. Cardano is a famous one, Polkadot, Luna, Cosmos, there's a lot now. And basically what you can do is you can help secure the network by locking up some of your coins and the value of your coins are, are what essentially if a hacker or if um, like the, the scenario that I explained before with the 51% attack on Bitcoin, if someone wanted to control Bitcoin, they would need computing power. With proof of stake, they would need a lot of money, a lot of stake, a lot of those coins to overrun the network. And so by you kind of contributing your coins to that type of network, you're helping to secure it and you're rewarded by getting paid in those coins. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. And there's, Mm. uh, yeah, basically pick a rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah, this is fascinating. It's amazing all the different things that you were sort of talking about. I'm like, oh, wow, I need to wrap my head around that particular thing. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this as well. But I'm guessing based on everything you've said, um, the more you involve yourself with it, the more familiar you become with it. And it's like learning a skill or a trade and it's something that develops over time. Um, But I I sort of wanted to circle back to – what you can use Bitcoin for. Because a lot of people are, you know, apart from an income, a monetary type income and, and, you know, and being able to sort of sustain yourself without a nine to five job, apart from that particular point of Bitcoin, what else can Bitcoin be used for? What can you purchase with it? I know, for example, um, Gab, the uh, alternative social media platform, there's an option there that you can pay for your pro account with Bitcoin. And I I know there are some really good... um, places that you can use Bitcoin. But for those of us who also kind of want to know, like this probably sounds so stupid, but hey, I'm here admitting that I have no idea. Can you buy groceries with Bitcoin? Can you buy clothes with Bitcoin? Can you buy like jewelry? Like like what other sort of tangible things can you use it for? Yeah, sure. Um, So there's over 10,000 merchants that accept Bitcoin directly. I'm sure there's many more now too as well. Um, so basically, again, like you said, with Gab, you can use it directly to purchase it. Um, you can also use what are called crypto debit cards, where you're basically loading it with your crypto and at, and it's like a Visa card or MasterCard. So the merchant, for all they know, they're, they're um, getting whatever local currency that they accept because at the time of your purchase, uh, the trade is basically being made um, from your crypto to fiat. And then oh, it's, wow. it's just a card. So there's definitely, I mean, yeah, crypto debit cards, they also require KYC. Um, of course, you're working with these, again, Visa or MasterCard. So they're going to need to know what's happening with their network. Um, mm. So it's not exactly the most private way. Uh, but again, if you if you've, um, go to a merchant that directly accepts crypto, you just scan mm. a QR code with your phone and you can make the payment that way. Uh, I also love to be a little crypto evangelist wherever I go. Recently, mm. my husband and I, we went to Indonesia and we basically convinced or not convinced, but yeah, okay. We talked them into accepting <laughs> Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies because my bank uh, required an SMS text every time I wanted to do an international transfer from my bank to theirs. Mm-hmm. And basically, cause they didn't, uh, we were like in this crazy little tiny Island and basically I could, I couldn't accept, I couldn't receive SMS text. So I was like, listen, if you just let me do this, I can pay it like so much better. Yeah. So I made her a little tutorial video, how to get her account set up, how to set it up and all that stuff. And, and they loved it. And now they're, yeah, they definitely accept crypto. So oh, wow. it's really interesting. Like, um, it, you know, uh, and also now that all these other companies and institutional investors and banks are kind of, you know, uh, being approved uh, or giving their approval for Bitcoin, you know, JP Morgan, uh, Fidelity is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Fidelity actually recently admitted that they bought Bitcoin in 2014 and they're saying basically there's no risk to it anymore. Like just buy oh, wow. some Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how the tides are turning because so many for so long, you know, it was only for criminals and uh, <laughs> you look now, like a criminal you know, Heidi. Yes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. It, it is something that um, I guess you could say it was in that conspiracy 
tinfoil hat spectrum for a while. Um, I, I yeah. proudly and happily wear a tinfoil hat, Heidi. I have no shame in my foil hat. That's, you know, is and it I think a conspiracy the last... theorist or are we just critical thinkers? I don't know. Is there a difference? That's right. That's, <laughs> we have more than a tin can and a marble for a brain. That's, I think that's what it is. But it's interesting, the last sort of two years, it's like, I told you so. Like, you know, there's been so many moments like that and it's always like, you know, oh, the government wouldn't do that. The government wouldn't do this. And it's like, well, here it is. It's slapping you in the face now. And yes, they are doing it. So I feel like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, things like that was in that spectrum. But as time goes on and seeing the success of it, um, you know, that's another coin in the Alex Jones was right tip jar, uh, which is overflowing <laughs> at the moment. So, yeah, it's fascinating seeing it progress and seeing so many people sort of want to get involved in it. One of the mm. big questions that so many people ask me, and, and I've spoken to some people who are into cryptocurrency, is the different cryptocurrencies. Now, you mentioned mm-hmm. Bitcoin was like the first one that sort of came out in 2008. I think you said white something. See, I'm not even remembering. I'm doing my best. It's okay. That one in 2008 and then 2009 kind of happened. And then I guess from there, other cryptocurrencies have come forward. But so many people have said to me, only do Bitcoin. The other ones are rubbish. Mm. Um, But then, yeah, you said uh, Elon Musk has got that Dodge See, I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, that one. So (laughs) have you can you kind of explain the difference between Bitcoin and them and whether there's one that you should invest in more than the other? Uh yeah, that's a great question. And again, there's like I think what at least like 10,000 other cryptocurrencies that exist. Oh wow, really? Yeah. That's a lot. Um, Yeah. So what Bitcoin had going for it and still has going for it is the grassroots way that it spread. Um, mm. and, and so it had like a really, uh, decentralized way to grow. Um, and now how most cryptocurrencies are launched is basically they hold a funding round and you can invest in it early and you get some coins. And then, um, so Bitcoin again is proof of work. And so that means that as these miners are helping to secure the network, they're being rewarded in the transaction fees that people pay to use network. They're also rewarded in what are called block rewards. Um, And that's the emission of of Bitcoin. And every four years, those block rewards are cut in half. So like I was saying before, at any one point in time, we will know exactly how many Bitcoin have ever existed. Um, Whether they're accessed or not, because people have lost it is a different story, but that's how many have been uh, produced and and will ever be produced. There's other cryptocurrencies that are much more uh, loose (laughs) with their emission of coins, with who can control and actually change the emission of coins. Um, Some cryptocurrencies have very centralized control over the supply, which is actually very similar to centralized banks again. And so that's something I pay attention to is number one, like, what is the supply that the coin has? Is it in like the one hundreds of billions or even trillions? And what's the point of that? You know, like Mm. it's people look for cheap coins and they think it's going to go as high as Bitcoin. But if you don't balance it out between, you know, how watered down is that coin in the whole, you know, existence of the other ones that are like it. Um, Other things I look for are, again, the development team. Um, If something does go wrong with the project, can they remedy it? Um, Are they just around because are they just popping up again because it's a bull market and that's when more people are are pouring in? Um, You'll find a lot of projects pop up then and then they go silent when the money is not there, you know, not pouring in anymore. Um, Bear markets are actually really good for weeding out the crap projects, um, okay. the ones that, that don't have, again, a skilled development team that are only there just for the money. They're not going to be continuing to code unless you know they get like a billion dollars or something. So you don't really want that. You, know, you don't want a fair weathered mm-hmm. cryptocurrency project. Um, mm. Ethereum, for me, Bitcoin and Ethereum are pretty solid investments. Ethereum is without a doubt the biggest platform for smart contracts. Um, my husband Toby, he actually has a really good analogy that I like. He, you know, there's always that, uh, analogy with Bitcoin and gold kind of being similar in that Mm. it's again, a hedge against inflation. 
it's the hardest asset that has ever existed um, because it is hard coded of how much will ever exist. And then Ethereum can kind of be seen as like the oil that runs the machine. And Ethereum is kind of hosting similar to like an app store where you can do all these things. You can play games, you can do NFTs, you can do DeFi, um, all these different ways that you can interact with your cryptocurrencies rather than just buying it, storing it or sending it to someone else. You can do a lot of other stuff with it. Um, There's also a really good use case for privacy coins. Um, Mm. Bitcoin is, I think that's another... Uh, thing that people misunderstand about Bitcoin. They think it's like a privacy coin. It's, it's pseudo private, uh, kind of pseudo anonymous uh, in that um, it is traceable. It is a public ledger. So it, you can trace your wallet transactions from, from this wallet to this wallet, to this wallet, to this wallet, whether or not you can be identified as the owner of that wallet is important. Let's say you you and I were both kind of public figures. Mm. And if you said, hey, donate Bitcoin to this address, you're saying that you are the owner of that Bitcoin address. And then from there, it's pretty easy to to track, you know, where you're going to send it to, especially if you do patterns of you usually send it to an exchange, then to trade it for fiat or whatever, then people know that relationship. Um, privacy coins, good ones are Monero. I'm actually going to be, I know, uh, pirate chain has been a popular one the past year or so. Uh, but so there's a use case for those where basically you can't know where this coin came from, where it went to. It's a lot more like cash where like, if you have a a dollar in your pocket, Mm. you can't know who exactly owned the history of that, that dollar. Um, it's fungibility is also a very important thing for Bitcoin and for cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, if you're talking about blacklisting certain coins that they've been involved with the hack, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in possession of that. And then all of a sudden you can't spend it because it's been flagged, you know, and there's like, a false association to you and that illegal activity that's mm. not exactly, uh, you know, facilitating a, a good network and, and fungibility of, of those. So, yeah, I mean, smart contract platforms like Ethereum, um, Bitcoin is solid. It's a proof of work blockchain. It's the most recognizable. It has it has the um, uh, the best network effect. Obviously, if, if anyone knows about cryptocurrency, the very least they know about Bitcoin. Um, again, Ethereum, privacy coins. Um, yeah, I think those are all pretty, pretty great ideas that have been mm. um, practiced here with crypto. And you sort of said it, uh, it pseudo ID and things like that. Mm. So if, if, for example, I wanted to, you know, dip my toe in the water and, and buy some Bitcoin or some cryptocurrency, do I have to give uh, like my full at a name, address, or any any of those things that you'd give to a, a normal bank, say if you wanted mm. to to invest in something, or can you literally just have a wallet and and you have the code, the access to that wallet, and you can spend it. And you don't have to give any of those private personal details out on the on the web. Yeah, so definitely, um, what you described was you know having to give up your information. Um, that's a centralized exchange. And they require that because the government is requiring them to be reporting that information or they expect the government to be needing that information down the road and they're trying to avoid getting fines or getting shut down. Um, There's actually decentralized exchanges, which are basically working in a more peer-to-peer fashion. Um, They don't, they shouldn't be having any kind of a server that collects your data. Um, so, so basically, yeah, the most common way that people buy and sell cryptocurrencies is through centralized exchanges. Coinbase is a big one. Kraken is a centralized exchange, but it's, in my opinion, a secure one. You still have to give up, give up your information, but there's definitely ways for you to gain exposure to crypto without going through KYC. Um, you can find someone in person and make an exchange again for cash. For crypto, um, there are certain centralized ex- or decentralized exchanges that facilitate that. In my opinion, there's one decentralized exchange that is the best example of one is called BISC with a Q on the end, B-I-S-Q dot network. And that one allows for bank transfers, peer-to-peer bank transfers, and 
um, your information of your bank and everything, it's only stored locally on your computer. They don't have a server that's storing that. They have no way mm -hmm. of giving that information to anyone. You're only sharing that information with the other person on the other side of that transaction. The only okay. downside to BISC, I believe, is you have to have Bitcoin already to kind of establish your um, your uh, reputation as like, you know, you, mm. you're not there to just take money and, and leave without, you know, you kind of have to put up collateral, basically. Um, but as your account there grows and matures, then um, you need that less and less. But mm. in my opinion, if you can find someone... I'm sure there's people in your group that that can send you crypto and you can send it, uh, trade it for cash. Um, and then you can get your hands on some Bitcoin. And then from there, you can transact on BISC. And then what's easy, actually, is if you want to be trading crypto to crypto, let's say you have Bitcoin and you want to explore these other cryptocurrencies. There, that is much easier to do without giving away your personal information. Um, the big roadblock for people who want to keep their privacy as best they can is that move from their bank account to crypto. And again, it's mm. that like bottleneck uh, that the government can definitely easily control. And, uh, you know, uh, there's ways around it, but it's not the most convenient, um, but it is possible. Absolutely. So, so who actually like owns Bitcoin or owns a cryptocurrency? Because, like that might be a silly question again, but you know, like our banks over here are owned by people. Um, mm -hmm. There are people sort of at the top of that. Uh, are the people who invented the cryptocurrency? I, I, I'm not even going to attempt to to try and uh, pronounce the name of that person that you mentioned at the beginning who created it. <laughs> it sounded Japanesey, but I, yeah. I like, but I'm not even going to try Heidi. Um, but yeah. does that particular person own Bitcoin and, and is kind of like the, uh, I guess the person who can pull the plug whenever they want, or is it, I have no idea <laughs> what else yeah. it could be, but yeah. No. Uh, so the name was Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, Thank you. But, yeah, it's okay. Um, he has no rights to to take down the network because, okay. again, he released it to be open source. That means mm -hmm. anyone at any time can start running that software. He has no like kill switch for it um, because the code is open source, and there's very intelligent people who can analyze that code and have analyzed that code for. Over 12 years now, or uh, how long has it been? 13 years now. Mm. Um, if that existed, it would have been brought to our attention by now, and it hasn't. And it would be a huge, uh, again, bottleneck of uh, weakness of, of the network. Um, and again, because the network is decentralized, you can kind of think of it as like a spider's web where there's many points of support. And just because you can take one out doesn't mean the whole thing falls up. Not to mention the fact there's like a million spiders that are always <laughs> creating mm. more webs. So uh, that's kind of like when he released it, he was like, okay. And it's just kind of like growing. Um, okay. But there are other cryptocurrency projects that have CEOs that have, you know, like really centralized companies that control how the code um is is built and as it morphs and, and changes um but yeah bitcoin in particular no that that can happen no not one no one individual can or will ever i believe uh control bitcoin and much less mm -hmm. so to even shut it down yeah that, that was actually my next question, because I think a lot of people are fearful that they'll invest money in cryptocurrency and then something's going to happen. Like the, the big ogres is going to pull the plug of the internet and everything goes crashing down yeah. or someone's going to, you know, some like, you know, special agent spy is going to hack into the system and, and steal everybody's uh, cryptocurrency. Is this yeah. even possible? Like those scenarios or like can cryptocurrency basically collapse on its head or? Um, so I, I love the the argument because I get that too a lot. What if they mm. shut down the internet? And my number one thing is if they shut down the internet, you're going to have a lot more concerns of what's going on with Bitcoin. Do you yeah. have access to fresh water and can you grow your own food? Because like supply lines are going to be down. That's true. I mean, we're, um, we're going to have to beg reels it if we lose the internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but also, you know, this concept of hackers uh, or like uh, more specifically breaking the encryption. Um, 
because encryption is what secures and what makes uh, Bitcoin like so secure. And that's another thing I forgot to say is like, Mm. Um, try to do that with gold or cash or whatever you need, like a, an entire house yeah. to store that. Yeah. Um, but the way that Bitcoin works is there's a private key and a public key, basically. And that's generally how you can think of it as like a key that unlocks a house. And that encryption is very secure. It has never been hacked. It's never been uh, 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 uh hurt or whatever. Yeah. Hacked. Mm. Um, and if that were to happen, then obviously all of the developers and all these network, all these people who are running nodes on Bitcoin are very in the know of the risks of potential risks. What could happen? What's their plan B? And all they'd have to do is just fork the code, just make a little switch and then change. Um, and then from there move on. Also, there's like the boogeyman of quantum computers. Once quantum, what about a quantum computer can break the encryption of, of Bitcoin? If that's true, they can break the encryption of banking systems, of governments around the world. Mm -hmm. But there, uh, governments are, aren't the only ones who have access to quantum computers. There's people in the crypto space who definitely have access to them as well and can use that to also bolster the security of crypto. Because you have to remember, like, and that's why I always go back to the cypherpunk movement of just the level of intelligence and foresight that these people had. Um, hmm. Eric Hughes in 1993 wrote the cypherpunk manifesto. And if you're interested in like, you know, renegades and, and volunteers and stuff, uh, the cypherpunk movement is right up your alley. Read the manifesto. And, you know, the internet was just starting to get mainstream. I mean, not even really like just starting to bloom. And mm. they had the foresight that, okay, we need to build systems of encryption that will protect privacy, your communications, and again, money transfer, and that that forked off into cryptocurrencies. Um, so those people still exist. They're located around the world, and they really believe in this technology and mm. making sure that it it exists for the betterment of, of humanity. You know, like these people are volunteered. A lot of them are anonymous. They weren't paid for what they're doing. I'm sure they benefited, you know, in some ways of being the creators here and having that foresight, of course, but it was all really altruistic. And so for me, I have, I take a lot of comfort in that and I'm yeah. trusting um, that. Yeah. That, because if you think about governments and the red tape that they have to go through and the bureaucracy mm. that they have to do, you know, whatever they're doing behind closed doors is whatever, but they do not have the most intelligent people working for them. The free market, in my right. opinion, will always, uh, <laughs> yeah, be a much better option. And that's mm. what we're seeing with cryptocurrencies is, you know, look what's been created in the past 13 years and how much, like I was saying with DeFi and NFTs and gaming and privacy coins and it's like, it's so inspiring of, of what is able to be created. If you're not held back, if you're not held back by regulations and you're just ready to, you can do whatever the heck you want. You can create a Dogecoin, you can create Shiba Inu coin or whatever these stupid mm. coins are, Yeah, but you're free to do so. So I don't know that for me is, mm. is really inspiring. I, th I think there's very little that, if anything, to be honest, that the government has touched that is better <laughs> off for it in the end. Yes, so exactly. I think the fact that this has nothing to do with the government is very attractive, not just from a, you know, I don't want the government in my business perspective, but probably mm. because there's really smart people, probably smarter than the government, who have created it and who have maintained it and who have looked after it. Um I worked for the government for 12 years as a cop. I tell you what, mm. it ain't pretty on the inside of the government. <laughs> and, you know, it's like anything, anything that you have to do with the government is like, well, that's going to be a crap job. That's not going to be yeah. ideal um, because we're, we're literally hopeless. Um, but I, I did break away from that. That's part of my life, uh, mind you. But yeah, no, it was rough being on the inside of the government. That's for sure. So I, I also take a lot of comfort um, with what you said, I hadn't thought of that before, that mm -hmm. there's actually probably some of the smartest people in the whole world who are in control of it, who are creating it, maintaining it, 
and I guess, you know, looking after it and participating in it. So that's the sort of people I'd rather be around and being investing in for sure. So um, I sort of wanted to ask you as well about the opportunities that Bitcoin Mm. can give to people. Um, And I know you, you mentioned before the opportunities it's given you, you travel around the world. I've actually heard stories about people that have bought dual passports with Bitcoin um, Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And yeah, if you have any stories or examples or testimonies, I'd love to sort of hear it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually renounced my U.S. citizenship, and oh, I was did able you? To do I didn't so. know that was a yeah. thing. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, best decision I've ever made. <laughs> Just, like that's like you, you broke away. I broke away too. <laughs> yeah, that's like giving the bird. That's like there's no other way to do it. That's fantastic. Like that takes yeah. guts. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, obviously you have to have a second citizenship lined up in your possession first Mm. before you renounce. So you're not stateless. Um, And so, yeah, I was actually able to purchase that through my successful investments in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I, uh, not directly with Bitcoin, but it's coming. Um, and it was St. Kitts and Nevis and they has no income tax. Uh, they're actually becoming much more crypto friendly. So anyway, I locked that one in. I said goodbye to the U S which is kind of funny. My renouncement story when I renounced, yeah. I left because you have to renounce in a different country. So I did so in the Bahamas. And when I left the embassy, I was like so excited and the armed guard, you know, of course they have like the semi-automatic weapon that they're guarding. Um, and he like gave me around it. He like gave me a high five and he clapped. Oh, really? No (laughs) idea what I'm celebrating. Yeah. Um, That's it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely, um, that's my own, you know, story of breaking free and how, you know, being, having an early, adopter mindset in general is really good. Try to have foresight um, as best you can and make strategic moves in your life and be nimble. Um, That's been my biggest takeaway the past, you know, 10 years, Mm. but also, you know, there's people who I hear have retired early. That's another thing is like so many people are retiring early now and they're leaving their nine to five jobs. They've, you know, invested usually during the bear market. And then when the bull market comes, you can see, what was it, Bitcoin in the past three years, their year to date uh, within that year of profit was like 300%, 60% was the lowest one and like 200% mm. or something. So that's just Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, a lot of people say is like the most boring one. Um, yeah. There's definitely other cryptos that do much crazier. But anyway, um, yeah, people who retire early, people who can spend more time with their family, who can finally travel and live where they want to live. They're not tied down by their, the job that they had to have. Um, but similarly, I've also had conversations with people who are so skeptical about finding success in cryptocurrency that you have to have insider information or you have to have gotten lucky. It's you're too late to, to even see profit in anymore. It's, it's sad for me to see people who still have that kind of limited mindset. And for me, it's, it's a symptom of the system that they're in, you know, just, they have to work two jobs, three jobs, you know, and take care of their family and and their spouse has to also work multiple jobs and it can seem really hopeless. And that's why I'm always, uh, you know, recommending for people to gain exposure to at least Bitcoin through the method of dollar cost averaging, basically just set a budget for yourself that you can easily put away. You're not stressing out about it. Um, you know, if, uh, you're basically, you're able to forget that amount of money, whether it's like $10 a week, $50 a month, hundred dollars a month, whatever your budget is, just consistently buy Bitcoin, like no matter what the price is, um, and accumulate that way. And then before you know it, you're going to have a little pile of Bitcoin. And then when a bull market hits, you're gonna be like, Holy crap, it worked. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's yeah. certainly a moment that I would love to experience. Um, <laughs> and so it's, you know, again, there, there are so many hesitations, like you mentioned, people are sort of mm. scared. I think it's in our human nature to be scared of things that we don't know or to take risk. Sure. Like we, we're sort of creatures of habit and we like comfort and in our short-term comforts and sacrificing that for potential long-term gains is, mm. is hard for people to do. But it's certainly something I'm really interested in, particularly with how the world's going at the moment. 
just being mm -hmm. as self-sufficient as you can, just getting away from the bureaucrats and the government and just living as freely as possible. Um, and so I'm interested yeah. to see, like, heck, you renounced it's your citizenship and you're, I don't even know what country you said you got your citizenship <laughs> from, but it sounds tropical. It sounds something uh, pretty amazing. And now you have so much more freedom at your fingertips, which is attractive. I, I, I do like it. So I'm mindful that this is a very complex thing, what I'm going to ask you next. Mm. But if I wanted to just after this conversation with you go, you know what, I have a hundred bucks to spare. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to, I just want to do it. I'm just going to buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, which is 0. 0.0000, whatever, eight decimal <laughs> percent considering the value. But, you know, I want to put a hundred bucks in. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? <laughs> Where do I start? Yeah. So again, there's like two different ways to enter crypto. Um, and so I'm going to do the easy way. Um, and that's through centralized exchanges. It will be sacrificing your privacy. Uh, you'll have to give your gov uh, basically it depends what country your your documents are from is going to determine your experience in cryptocurrency mm -hmm. through that particular exchange, because, again, they are dictated by your government and your government stance on cryptocurrencies. So yeah. uh, you're going to have to give your name, your address, your ID. And that's usually it. And then from there, you can make a bank transfer into their account or into your account on their exchange. And then usually there's like a little trade uh, tab and you trade uh, USD or Aussie dollar for, for Bitcoin. And then from there, you have Bitcoin in your account on that centralized exchange. But what's really important to understand is that holding Bitcoin on a centralized exchange is just like holding your cash in a bank and that your cash isn't really there. They're out doing other things with it probably. Right. Um, so what's best is to, with if you want to be storing it for long-term, withdraw that Bitcoin from the exchange into a wallet that you control. Mm -hmm. So it's like taking it from the bank and putting it in your safe, in your house. Okay. Um, hardware wallets are really good for that. Ledger.com is an excellent one. Trezor is also an uh, excellent option as well <clears throat> um, for hardware wallets. And that's basically an advanced, it's not an advanced wallet, it's a, a very secure wallet. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, or you can do it the other way I was kind of talking about, the decentralized way where mm. you have $100 in cash and maybe you know someone in person who's involved with cryptocurrency, just ask them, hey, can I buy some Bitcoin off of you? And then, they can help you either have a hardware wallet already, or you can easily set up a wallet on your computer. Uh, Exodus wallet, Atomic wallet are good short-term wallets, in my opinion, and then eventually get a hardware wallet. But anyway, yeah. um, give them the cash and then they'll ask for your address to deposit the Bitcoin. And then the Bitcoin will be in your wallet. And then from there, you're good to go. And then yeah, no KYC needed. No one knows where that Bitcoin came from. The only hiccup here is uh, if it gets to the point where, and it kind of is, where if you want, so let's say that Bitcoin grew into like millions and millions of dollars and you want to cash that Bitcoin out um, into cash and you need to put it into your bank, you know, banks need to know, want to know where that money is coming from. Mm -hmm. And if you don't yeah. have proof of like kind of the trail of that, they might uh, give you a really hard time. So they might do what they do best, which is control and manipulate and be tyrannical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what you could do if you're really organized and you're really stringent on this is just keep it separate. Keep your identified Bitcoin over here and keep your <laughs> anonymous yeah, stuff okay. over here. Um, that could be a strategy that could be very confusing, but that's why for me, uh, renouncing my U.S. citizenship just gave me so much freedom in cryptocurrencies. Like, yeah, no one really cares <laughs> for me. You're the ghost, uh, the, the crypto ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Mm. So uh, it's, it it all sounds it, it sounds great. I still feel like I would need somebody to hold my hand to get started mm. in the process, like without doubt. Yeah. But um, you know, it's the things that you've sort of answered are, are some questions that I've had, some major questions about, I guess, security and hacking and value of Bitcoin, which is what people really want to know. But what I sort mm. of want to finish on um, is where you see it going. Like, and mm. I know, like, you don't have a crystal ball and and no one knows exactly but in your opinion and I guess in your expertise you've been doing this for such a long time where do you see bitcoin and and cryptocurrency going do you think it's only going to get better do you think it's only going to go up in value do you think that more trade is going to be opened as a result like and more people are going to be willing to accept it um do you see with the way that the world's going we're going to be bear grills you know and in our bunkers <laughs> in our prepping bunkers that people paid out paid us out for all these years. Um, like where do you sort of see the shift with culture and society going in crypto? Yeah. So, you know, there's that phrase, good times create soft men, soft men create hard times, hard, hard times create, uh, hard men or something like that. Strong <laughs> like, men. You know, like yeah. I know the strong it's a, men. I'm sorry. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I think we're kind of in that transitional period of like entering hard times that are going to be mm. waking people up and valuing freedom and seeing governments for what they do, which is always serving their own best interests at the expense of their citizens usually. So I think, I think that's where we're headed. And I think cryptocurrencies play perfectly into that. Um, and yeah. So price-wise, again, I think Bitcoin's going to become less volatile, but I think that still it's it's a such a small market compared to any other asset class. And the fact that it's getting so much attention from governments is like, I think, a perfectly clear example of mm. the type of disruption that it represents to them. Um, so for mm. me, I think regulations are going to come in, institutional investors are going to be pouring into Bitcoin because they're going to want to be protecting their wealth from the hyperinflation or the extreme inflation that's going to be hitting. Um, and so I think it's good for Bitcoin long-term price-wise. Um, I would love to see, you know, eventually we're, we're valuing things in terms of Bitcoin rather than its fiat value. Um, mm. And that would be an interesting shift. Uh, a lot of hardcore people already do that, but it's not mainstream by any means, of course. Mm. Um, yeah. So hopefully we're not Bear grills for too long. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think we will emerge of- from our bunkers with our, our digital wallets <laughs> hiding. Yeah. We our shall be the victors. Right <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 So, you know, with this age of information and the internet and the how fast information can be sent, you know, when you can wade through the the BS that the mainstream media, the narratives that they're always trying to throw at you. Um, I think people are going to be seeing things for what they really are soon enough. Um, mm. And yeah, so I'm, I'm optimistic, but I do also want to say, I wanted to give these warnings because there's a lot of scammers with crypto as well. Yes. And so here's some like really easy red flags to keep you from, especially if you're new to cryptocurrency and you're eager to get profits and you feel like you're too late and you need to cut corners to get the profit back. And there's someone, let's say whatever, you liked a a post on Instagram that had something to do with Bitcoin, or they can somehow uh, tie you to an interest in cryptocurrencies. The number one flag is if someone ever contacts you directly, they make the first initial contact and they're like, hey, how's your crypto investments going? Or I have a great investment opportunity Mm. for you. It's a scam. I don't care. I have a lot of impersonators on Instagram and it's a shame. And I'm not the only YouTube crypto person who's has that as well. There's so many scammers that impersonate people. They try to trick them. Um, So that's a huge red flag. Also, a common scam that can happen is, let's say you purchase a Ledger hardware wallet or um, you're on an exchange or something, and for some reason, your email gets leaked to the the dark web. Um, And then you get an email, and it seems like it's from Ledger, 
and they're basically trying to scare you. They're saying, oh, there's a huge thing. Like you need to log in and give us your seed phrase. Never give anybody your seed phrase, your private key. Um, mm. That is the key that unlocks your coins. Who That's basically proving ownership over the coins. Whoever has that has the authority to withdraw the coins from the wallet. So never give that away. Never fall for fear. Always check out their official uh you know, you know this, but crypto is yeah. all over Twitter. So check out their official Twitter um, communications and reach out to someone officially before you do something fear-based and like you give someone your coins away or mm. you invest in something. And and the, the, the impersonators are horrible because you like, it, let's say you fall for it and you, you send them a thousand dollars and they're like, oh, you need to send a little bit more and then we can withdraw it. Oh, you need to send a little bit more. And then they keep asking. And it's, it's a, it's a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get that out there too, for anyone who's new to cryptocurrency to relax and don't do anything drastic because you think you need to cut corners to make more profits. You're still early on crypto and yeah, just try Mm -hmm. to, I know it can be overwhelming and obviously it's all brand new, but, um, try to, try to have some intuition on who's trying to inspire fear or greed in you. Cause those are really easily manipulated for newcomers. Mm. So yeah, definitely. I remember actually reaching out to you because there was an impersonator who contacted me, same profile yeah. picture. It was uh, under the handle blockchain one, whereas you're just blocked or blockchain, whatever it was, there blockchain was a digit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was one digit that was different. And, um, I almost fell for it. Like, thankfully they That's weren't horrible. asking me for money, but I nearly was chatting to you. Like I normally, you know, normally would. And then I think I messaged uh, you, like, is this you? And you're like, no. And I'm like, Oh yeah, Evelyn, you should be better than that by now. So I actually unfollowed, I actually followed that account. It was a very blonde moment and I'm not, proud no, of it's, it. they did. Do. They, they copy everything. Sometimes they have more followers than me. Also, what they always do is they'll block me first. So I can't even see them or report them yes. on Instagram. Like on Instagram, I only have like about 5,000 plus uh, followers. I, there's people who have like 50,000 followers that are impersonating <laughs> me. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, It is crazy, but it's a testament that obviously people uh, respect you and value you. I mean, isn't, what is it? Impersonation is the highest form of flattery. So obviously you're doing something right. And they're like, oh, we can get people in with her brand, with her name and what she has to say. But um, I guess that'll lead me into the final thing I want to ask you. Um, I, I feel like I've probably taken up too much of your time and I've probably been very frustrating to try and explain things no to you. <laughs> but, but um where can people find you? Because I guarantee you I've missed questions. People will have questions. You have mm-hmm. a YouTube channel yourself where you talk crypto tips um mm-hmm. and you've mentioned social media. So please tell people where they can follow you so they can annoy you like I'm probably going to <laughs> in the future now. Yeah. yeah. So the easiest way is to make sure you're not uh, getting any scam account is on crypto space tips, two words on YouTube. And in all of my videos, in the video description, I have links to all of my official um, social medias. There's Instagram, uh, Twitter, of course. Um, I also post on library, which is a decentralized video sharing platform. But yeah, so on, I'm horrible with branding. So on... (laughs) Instagram, I'm real crypto tips because someone already has that name. And on Twitter, I'm on I'm blockchain chick. And again, like you said, be careful of the spelling. They can be very tricky with that. Mm. They're using numbers or symbols. Uh, and also, of course, uh, crypto tips on YouTube. So yeah. Yep. I'll try and include those links in the description as well. And I'll double check with you before I put the links that they are the right ones just to just to make sure. But um, it was Thank such you. a pleasure having you here. Um, I would like to have you back again, maybe maybe a post uh, uh, cryptocurrency um, for me, like like in how I'm coping with it. And you can yeah. talk me through it next time because it's certainly something I'm, I'm really interested in sort of investing in, um, even if it's just a little bit at a time until I get my feet up and running, but it's been such a pleasure. You're such a lovely person. Um, and I really value what you do and I hope people reach out, follow you, especially a channel, especially if they're interested in this sort of spectrum as well. So really appreciate your time today. Thanks Heidi. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and I, I welcome the questions. So that's what I love to do to help people out. So thank you for having me. I really liked it. Just